This is the politics of everything, and I'm your host, Amber Danes. Welcome to the podcast where we want to discuss the politics of everything from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment to equality, and much more. Our guests are experts in their field or topic of choice, even if you've not yet heard their name. This is a bipartisan podcast. So while we love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate, by no means is this a one-sided forum for any one political view. So please listen up and enjoy the politics of everything. For many of us, the idea that one day we will have a family of our own is seen as a rite of passage. We also assume that in 2017, the wonders of technology, modern medicine, and our own knowledge about health and well-being means that women can fall pregnant and have babies later in their life, in their 30s and their 40s, and so on. While we know this is not 100% true, the world of IVF and other fertility treatments have become a booming industry. Today, I'm speaking with Tasha Jennings about the politics of fertility. Tasha leads a practice that provides expert information specifically focused on fertility, conception, and those precious initial stages of pregnancy. She has a wealth of experience and an online resource called Conceive Baby for all couples wishing to start a family. Welcome to the show, Tasha. Thanks very much. It's a place to be a part of the, uh, the program. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to the point where you basically are today a fertility expert. Yeah, well, I've been a naturopath for almost 20 years now, uh, scary to think about. And uh, during that time, I've ironically largely worked in the pharmacy industry. I'm a big believer that all modalities of healthcare should be working together. And I've never really understood the um, sort of us versus them disparity that there often is between Western and alternative medicine. Uh, We're all working towards the same outcome as far as I'm concerned. And I do come from a very scientific standpoint. I love working with pharmacists and doctors and specialists, um, which is probably good since I'm now married to a doctor. Oh, how handy. um, (laughs) Which some people say, how does that work? But as I said, we're all working towards the same end. And it's really been the past seven years that I have specialised, as you said, in fertility and pregnancy. And my reason uh, for specialising in this area probably uh, was a selfish one, really. Um, We were wanting to start a family and having difficulty. So really what started out as a small personal project really became a career passion as I met with researchers internationally and was, um, I guess, really inspired by what I was discovering about the role of certain nutrients and their bioavailability on fertility, as well as the long-term health of the baby. And this is how my company, Zycia, was born. And I chose the name because Zycia means life. And it's dedicated to promoting and supporting life in its early stages. And Zycia Natal Nutrients is the premium nutritional supplement designed to support that journey that I was going through at the time from conception right through to pregnancy and breastfeeding. And that's available online and through specialist clinics and it's just launched in China, which is really exciting. And around the same time, I wrote my first book, uh, The Vitamins Guide, and then two years later, uh, The Fertility Diet, which is really where my passion lies, as well as providing articles and expert comment uh, for various media publications, which I still do and enjoy to do. And more recently, as you mentioned, the Conceive Baby website, and I created that to further support couples in their journey to pregnancy. And again, based on my own fertility experience, 
I was lucky enough to be a naturopath. So, of course, I had a background in health and nutrition. And with my husband being a cardiologist, uh, we fortunately had, I guess, the knowledge and the medical contacts that meant that our fertility journey was fortunately short compared to many couples that I do speak with. And we're now blessed with two beautiful children. And my aim for Conceived Baby was really to bring together a team of specialists across all aspects of fertility and preconception health so that other people who were struggling like we were could have access to the type of qualified expert information that we were fortunate enough to have. Because uh, I think, as you know, the web these days can be an enticingly evil place. I think, you know, it seems to provide the answers to everything you're looking for. But unless you really understand what you're searching for, particularly in relation to fertility, uh, there can also be some quite um, misguided and misleading information as well. Anyone with a computer these days can be an expert. And Dr. Has- Google, as they like to call it. It exactly. sounds like you definitely turned your combination of professional and personal experience into your business and practice today, which is fantastic. Just to um, kind of dive straight into the figures, I I read something that in 2015, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, the average number of Australian women were having less babies than they were in the previous 10 years. And it's basically, some people say that, you know, maybe 20 years ago, it was all linked to kind of the baby bonus and people were like really motivated to suddenly, you know, have more children. And now the national fertility rate um, has dropped to about one8 children per woman, which I always find funny because it's not quite two. So (laughs) pretty funny to look at when you think about it in terms of humans. But I guess, you know, the average child cost $400,000, I read somewhere, to raise from naught to 18. Um, So surely that sort of financial incentive doesn't really sway people. Or do you think it might have at the time, just from your own sort of knowledge and experience of the industry? Look, personally, I agree with you. No, I don't believe so. You know, a child is is a very personal decision to have a child. Um, It's probably not even really a financial one. People have children for their own personal reasons. Yes, the bonus, I guess, may help with the initial setup costs per se of of having a baby. But no, I don't believe this have a significant impact on people's personal decision to, to start a family. So why would birth rates be dropping then? I mean, what would be the reason that we would be having, you know, I, I still remember the treasure at, um, at the time, 2015 or 15 or 20 years ago, when the baby bonus kind of first came in saying, have, you know, one for the nation and one for the economy and one for you kind of thing. So that seems like the three kids were the the norm and maybe it's dropped a little bit. Is there any sort of reason for that? Well, I think that the, you know, research is showing that women in their 30s, 30, you know, 30 to 35 year age bracket are having more babies than, than younger uh, women, which was previously the case. And most women are actually, uh, as you and I were, uh, I believe in our thirties before we had our first child. So they are having more babies, but they are less fertile. Absolutely. So that's interesting because I think some other research that, that I've tapped into and look, research is, you know, only as good as I guess, whoever operates it Mm. and runs it and verifies it, that, you know, women between 30 and 34 are actually more fertile at the moment than, you know, perhaps younger age groups. So is there is there any kind of peak fertility period that you know to be true? Look, I mean, I guess the answer is that they're not actually more fertile, but yes, they are having more babies. Um, but okay. biologically, we are still more fertile in our teens and early 20s. It's just that socially, these women are having more babies, you know, per capita, 
um, because women are establishing their careers. They're setting themselves up financially. And this all takes time. So it's not until post 30 or at least, you know, 25 as, as the statistics show that women are ready to start their families. And I know I fall into that category and so do you. And I guess jumping back to the last question, I think focusing on fertility education would be a more valuable way to increase the population than a baby bonus because there are plenty of women in that post-30 age bracket. Um, There's some who are having babies, obviously, lots who are having babies, but also some who are desperately wanting to have children, irrespective of any financial incentive. And I guess, um, in fact, I think they're probably willing to pay anything to be able to conceive, but they are struggling to fall pregnant because the fact is that, yes, they are less fertile. And it's interesting. I I sort of um, heard something today on the radio when I was driving talking about the idea that it's not just the women, but there's men are now having a lower sperm count than perhaps previous generations. Um, So I think it's obviously not a one-sided issue and you would see that in the work that you do. Oh, look, I saw headlines just this morning um, when I was scrolling through that, um, you know, humans are becoming extinct are going to become extinct because sperm is getting so much damage because of our pollutants. So I I don't think that will be the case. (laughs) It does sound extreme. (laughs) Look, I think that is the extreme point, but I think that they're sending a message and that is that um, we do need to look after ourselves more and our fertility is declining because of um, our diet and lifestyle these days. So I guess tapping into so sort of the work that you do and I guess the deeper levels of that, what are some of the biggest myths that perhaps a lot of people have around fertility and how can we educate the community a bit about how to maximise their um, opportune time to have children? Look, I think education is, is definitely key to all of this. And I think one of the biggest myths um, I find is actually around timing of conception. I think, you know, for so long we're told how easy it is to fall pregnant and now how careful we must be with contraception. And I think, in fact, so much of our early sex education um, does centre around contraception and not getting pregnant, that research now shows that most women know very little about their own fertility. And actually, I speak with um, Dr. Kerry Hampton in another episode of the Conceived Baby webinar and podcast series, who did her PhD research into this area, which showed that most women who present to fertility clinics aren't aware of their fertile window. And this obviously may be a super simple, super simple um, factor contributing to their inability to fall pregnant because the fact is that you only have a 24-hour window in which to conceive each month from the time the egg's released at ovulation till it dies 24 hours later, um, if that is if pregnancy hasn't occurred, of course. And so knowing when that fertile window is will greatly increase your chances of falling pregnant. That's amazing, isn't it? Just that simple stuff. And I think you're right. I always, you know, when I wanted to start a family, thought I've spent, you know, the first decade of my adult life trying not to get pregnant and then the second kind of decade of my, you know, into the 30s trying desperately. And, um, you know, it's, it is one of those things where we spend a lot of time talking about how not to and then maybe we're just missing a little piece around, well, when when is the best time? And I guess your role would be to help guide those couples to to educate but I, I suppose there's you know before they even come to see you they probably could be doing a bit of um you know knowledge building on their own and it would Absolutely. be great to sort of have that be part of the piece I guess when you're learning about your body I'm big on giving that information to people and that's I guess you know jump on the Conceive Baby website and we actually have a free ebook to download to find your fertile window because I think it is something that that shouldn't take getting to a fertility specialist 
to find out. Um, and I think there's a lot of apps out there that can even be somewhat misleading sometimes because I think the textbook, I guess, fertile window and ovulation time is day 14. But I think most women out there will agree that very few of us fit into the good definition of a textbook menstrual cycle. So understanding your body and your unique fertile window is, is the first step that I recommend you know, um, people look at and make sure they are getting the timing right for them, not just by what their app says or what the textbook says. And I guess just to touch on another myth, I think um, another myth is that what you eat and your lifestyle has little impact on your ability to fall pregnant, which is completely false. I mean, I find you wouldn't fuel your car with water and expect it to fire in all cylinders. Yet for some reason, we, we think that we can fuel our body with poor quality fuel and I guess still expect it to function at its optimal rate. And, you know, in reality, we can actually trade our car in. You know, this body is the only one that we'll ever have. And what we fuel it with is of great importance, not only to our overall health, but of course, to our fertility and to the health of the baby that, that we create. Isn't that interesting? And are there any kind of, I guess, specifics around that? Is it about just eating cleaner and greener? Is it about, you know, I guess it's not, it's not one size fits all, but there must be some sort of tools and rules around food and your weight and all those little things which must come into it. Absolutely. I mean, eating clean, eating whole foods. I mean, what I always say to, to patients and anyone that I speak to is, is know the history of your food. You know, a lot of the time we just pick things off the supermarket shelves. We don't know where it came from. Um, that's why I love farmer's markets, growing veggies in your backyard. I mean, a lot of the time the fruit that's, you know, on the shelves in the supermarkets may have been shipped, packed, frozen and thawed. I know, you know, sometimes apples come from California and they're actually literally picked, you know, months and months ahead of when they're actually ripe. So the nutritional status of our food and the nutritional value of our food um, it's not as great as it used to be when we were growing our veggies in the backyard. So diet and lifestyle has, you know, a very significant impact on the nutritional status, uh, which is so important. I mean, there are particular nutrients like folate and, and choline, which is so critical for vein, brain development. Uh, yet particularly folate, we are totally reliant on dietary sources for folate. Our body doesn't produce any, yet without sufficient folate, we can't maintain a pregnancy. So, and these days, you know, folate, it's another big myth, I guess, that folate and folic acid are very different. Folic acid, yeah, folic acid, I guess, has been sold as the, the big um, thing that we need to be taking, but folic acid is the synthetic supplemental source of folate, which is the natural nutrient that is used by the body. And, and is you, that what you find in green leafy vegetables and other sources? Where would absolutely. you find Absolutely. Yep. Green leafies are your number one. And the best thing is to not, you know, cook your veggies to the nth degree like my nan used to do because <laughs> folate is also a really unstable nutrient. Um, so which means lost, a lot of it is lost in processing or cooking or any um, processes like that. So um, eating things, green veggies, as you said, fresh and raw, you know, great from the farmer's market or your backyard if you can. And eating those things nice in their whole state uh, can really optimize your folate intake. 
And the other thing is to, I guess, be aware that if you are just taking your folic acid supplement, don't totally rely on that supplement. Always, you know, complement it with your diet. You need to be including as much whole folate as possible. And also look for a supplement. I know naturopaths often prescribe, um, which is what's in zycinatal nutrients, a folinic acid alongside folic acid because folinic acid is an active form of folate, which is um, optimizes the absorption. So taking that alongside just your folic acid, because 50% of people struggle to metabolize that synthetic folic acid into natural folate. And it can be that simple for some people who are struggling to fall pregnant, that they just their folate levels aren't there because they're not metabolizing that folic acid and they're not getting it through their diet. That's totally opened my eyes to an aspect of fertility I hadn't even thought about. So thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So I guess unlike um, other OECD nations, Australia has no age limit on, say, public subsidies that we use for fertility treatments. I believe in 2016 it cost Medicare more than $250 million. Mm -hmm. This is a bit controversial, but I suppose where do you stand on this? Do you believe that is the right way for us to be going? And then some argue that, you know, IVF practices who – you know, selling women in their 40s a bit of false hope shouldn't be doing this because obviously fertility decreases and there is a point at which it can't be possible to have a baby naturally or through oh, IVF. Yes, I mean, the, the cost of Medicare for IVF treatment um, is staggering. And are some clinics selling false hope? I mean, perhaps yes. Um, although I do think there is a component as it's likely the couples are also pushing for that one more try. Uh, regardless of the minuscule chances of success that they have been given because, you know, I've been there myself. I don't know what your experience was, but, you know, you are desperate to, to have a baby. So in short, yes, I do think it would be valuable for funding to be reduced. I mean, that is an extreme amount to be paying, uh, but I believe education is the key um, here to doing that rather than changing any legislation because, IVF isn't the magic bullet that people believe it to be. It isn't just a matter of putting an egg and a sperm together. Um, As one of our conceived baby expert panellists, Sonia Jessup, explains really well, and I like her analogy, is that the the egg and the sperm are are like tiny computers, I guess. And um, just like any computer, the egg and the sperm will only work uh, according to what they've been made up of and how well they're put together. Um, but instead of Microsoft, obviously, the egg and the sperm are made up of genes, which are then bundled together to form chromosomes, which form their operating system. And unfortunately, our bodies are not always very good at making operating systems, probably a lot like Microsoft. <laughs> and a lot of the time, the body Some makes... Let's put it that way. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's true for, for bodies as well. There are people that are metabolically a, better able to um, make these operating systems than others. And so a lot of the time the body does make an egg where the genetic code isn't normal. Um, and I guess by the time many people reach the point of seeking IVF treatment, they may be later in the years and perhaps they only have one in 10 of their eggs that has a normal operating system within it. Uh, so it's likely that those conditions also apply for sperm. Um, so, you know, when you think about that, most of the egg and sperm that are received by these scientists who are undertaking the IVF techniques won't have normal operating systems capable of making a normal embryo. And to make... Yeah. To make matters more, you know, worse, embryos that have these, I guess, abnormal operating systems but have still created an embryo, embryo can still result in pregnancies. 
but they're not strong enough to progress to a healthy pregnancy and birth, and that's where we we get miscarriage. So, and miscarriage is incredibly common, isn't it? Even in in sort of perhaps younger women, not necessarily women in their forties, but I know that a lot of friends and the statistics. I don't. You probably more across it than me of how many sort of babies don't actually make it to you know full term. Absolutely, and look, the stats are about one in three, uh, which are often incredible and. Getting into this industry myself, I was amazed at how many people that I personally knew who came out of the woodwork. I think it's something we don't talk about. But when I started getting into the industry, obviously people opened up more about their miscarriages. And it is incredibly common. And yes, miscarriage risk does increase as we age, despite what we'd like to believe. I guess we are overall less fertile as we age. You know, especially once we pass that 35, um, our fertility markedly decrease. I mean, obviously, we do hear of women conceiving well into their 40s, but the chances are greatly reduced and the chances of miscarriage do increase. And IVF isn't the magic bullet that people may assume it is. So it's really important to make sure we have a healthy egg and a healthy sperm before we actually start trying for IVF and getting that egg and the sperm get put together. So I think that's where education um, really should be key. So, And that's a big part of the reason. I think you may have seen the recent research show that IVF success rates increase with multiple cycles. I think that's been going around a lot lately. Exactly. I have, I have come across that. So what yeah. role does alternative medicine play in helping boost both the women and the man's fertility when they are trying to conceive? Well, I think, again, it comes down to those lovely operating systems inside the egg and the sperm that we were talking about. If the egg and the sperm are matured in a healthy, nutrient-rich, pollutant-free environment in the body, the chances of being them being healthy and normal um, obviously greatly increase. And, look, as I mentioned, some people are metabolically better than this than others. But particularly nutrients like folate that I was mentioning are critical for the synthesis of DNA in the body. We need vitamin B12 and iron to actually create that DNA. And also we need less pollutants like the research was showing in relation to sperm counts and the amount of pollution that we are exposed to decreasing the sperm counts. The same goes for eggs. And anything that causes a pollutant, and I'm not just talking about standing in the, you know, outside in the smog, this is, is, you know, things that are harmful to the body. Basically, they're called free radicals um, in, the, in the body. So anything that our body can't metabolize or um, can't excrete, it, it can be harmful to the body. And that's often the buildup of cortisol from stress that can be pesticides, herbicides that our body doesn't know how to deal with. So they can cause damage to our body and of course damage to our eggs and sperm. So it's really important to get plenty of antioxidants in your diet. And you know that's why speaking to a practitioner and that's where alternative medicine can play a role because your alternative medical practitioner will understand the nutrient demands of the body for fertility and pregnancy. And they can tailor a diet to help suit your specific needs. And I wrote the fertility diet for, for that reason is to help people tailor their diet and, and look at the, the, the key nutrients that they need to create those healthy egg and healthy sperm, which would, again, going back to your previous question, um, help with the subsidy as well. I mean, it would be really great for, for both the subsidy um, and for the couples to, instead of going through those multiple cycles of IVF, which are costly, for Medicare, costly for the couple, 
as well as emotionally and, and physically draining those, those cycles, that would be a much better result if we could boost the health of that egg and that sperm prior to retrieval to give, I guess, yourself the best chance of producing that spectacularly healthy egg and sperm to produce a thriving baby first go. Which is what we all hope for, isn't it, really? Exactly, so yeah. I think that's really well-rounded advice and definitely in the show notes we'll have some details about how, how to connect and get some information from you as well, particularly that diet. That sounds a fantastic natural way to improve your ability to conceive. So changing tack a little bit, I always believe that people don't get to where they are on their own. We've always got special people in our lives. Do you have any inspirational either business people or mentors or other people in your industry that you've come across that have inspired you? And also, I guess, what have you learned from them? Probably a mentor that comes to mind who I actually interviewed for the Conceived Baby series um, recently in relation to her research into choline um, and preconception is Professor Marie Cordell from uh, Cornell University in New York, who I've been touch in touch with for many years um, and has been an inspiration of mine really since I began my journey into fertility and pregnancy research. Her research is groundbreaking and so valuable for any future mums and mums-to-be um, and really for the health of our future generation as well. And I love people like Marie who are constantly curious, who challenge the status quo, I guess, who always ask why. And I think that's definitely a lesson I've learned. If something doesn't feel right or you're unsure for any reason or you don't know, um, just ask why. And if you don't get the answers you need, keep asking. And I think that's particularly relevant for people who are struggling with fertility. You know, I work with some amazing specialists who are so committed to achieving the best outcome for their patient. But... When it comes to your fertility, no one will care more about it than you. And I understand that firsthand, get second and third opinions if you agree and jump on the Conceived Baby website and, and get advice from our range of specialists. And I really appreciate people like Marie who are really out there making new discoveries that can benefit a whole generation. I find that truly inspiring. Excellent. So just to wrap up, what final thought would you like to leave the listeners with today and I guess, is there any kind of tips you have in terms of how to get your head around politics of fertility? Well, I guess the, the, the biggest uh, message that, that I like to get across, and anyone who, who knows me would know this quite well, is that, that being the best mum, or, or dad for that matter, starts well before birth. So I think the, the, the politics of the of fertility really gets into when we, we, we don't understand the, what we're doing with our fertility um, and we get old, as we get older. But we really need to start looking at fertility before we conceive. And 90 days before we conceive, you are already carrying all the genetic material that has the potential to become your future child. And research now shows that the nutrition you provide during that preconception period and through pregnancy can have a greater impact on the long-term health of your future child than eugenetics. So really, I like to get across that the nourishing and the nurturing starts now. I mean, I love that saying when you're just a twinkle in your father's eye. Uh, to me, that's when My you start becoming a parent. That, that, that kind of shows our age, I think. Tasha. It does. I think. Yeah, I shouldn't be saying that, but you're right. I can just hear my dad when I when I say that. <laughs> but that's true. Oh, that, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, great advice. Well, it's been a pleasure to chat to you today. If you do want to connect further with Tasha, we'll have some details on the show notes. You've been listening to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes. Until next time, keep well. Thanks for listening today. 
If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, we thrive on feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network, your friends and family. I'm also always on the hunt for fabulous new guests. So if you've got a view to share and an idea how to get our listeners excited, please email me at amber at bespokecoms, that's B-E-S-P-O-K-E-C-O-M-M-S dot com dot A-U, and we'll be sure to get back to you. Until next time.